0: You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Hi, I'm Kent Hunter. From my missionary heart to yours, at least I hope your growing heart, I welcome you to this episode two of Mission Possible. Everyday ordinary Christians become world changers. And uh, I'm just so excited about this episode. There's so much great material about how we can learn and grow as missionaries to our social networks. We don't have to cross the sea, just see the cross. And we look for those people around us who don't know Jesus. And with a little bit of training, well, maybe more than a little bit, but uh, some great training of uh, how to be a missionary. Uh, it will change your life. It will change your church. It would change our nation. So I'm so excited to uh, bring into you this time, this series, episode two, and begin with the concept of the symbol of hope. Hope is a big deal, and it's the key to understanding uh, the radical change that needs to take place in you, in me, in our churches, and we need to have hope that we can impact our nearby world, the people we know, our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, people where we go to work or go to school. Those people we know who are without Jesus and have an eternal impact on them by the power of God's Holy Spirit as we just share. In ways and learn ways to share and understand the avenues and the dimensions of being a missionary. And so I want to share at the very beginning of this episode the symbol of hope, and I'm guessing you have one real close, and that is the directory on your mobile phone. Our world has provided a list. Of our personal mission field yours and mine every single person has a personal mission field and they are the unchurched people on the directory in your cell phone this is not rocket science you carry it in your pocket it would be easy to pray for those people wouldn't it you know who they are they're at work they're at school they're your neighbors their friends, their relatives, their people you know who don't know Jesus. What you don't know is the mission teaching. And so this is the only the second episode, but this is our second episode. We're going to move forward here about your primary mission field, the non-Christians in your social network. And here is what is a life changer. This is a worldview change. We think about the church as an institution, a building, a fortress, a a place to go to where we worship, but the truth is the mission doesn't happen there. The mission happens more often in relationships that you already have, and it happens over breakfast, in a coffee shop over a backyard fence, during lunch at work, in casual conversations. And so we need to move from the mentality, the worldview, the age of institutions, back to the age of relationships. Just drill this into your heart. Relationships are the platform upon which missionaries walk. It isn't where you sit in church. It isn't sitting in front of your television, although that could be a spot too. But the relationships you have are your primary platform, and that needs to be your focus. That has to be our focus. It must be my focus if I'm going to live the missionary life right here where I already live. So, in this podcast series, my focus is not on a facility or an institution or an organization. My focus is on you. I hope you take that as seriously as I mean it. Now, when enough people get the mission spirit and get the mission training, It does have an impact on the institutional church, the organizational church, the the local church, the facility, all of it. Um, And so, as we move forward, it begins with the relationship and individuals, but it doesn't end there. That's the important thing. Don't get hung up about where it ends, be focused on where it begins. And honestly, some people will respond to this, and some won't. doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a non-Christian. doesn't make you less a Christian. Jesus makes you a Christian. So don't worry about any of that. I just want to introduce you to the exciting mission field. So let's talk about how the world might look differently. I want to read a, a section of a book written uh, back in 2005, a a fantastic book called The World is Flat by Thomas Friedman. And uh, there on page 451, that was a long book, he said some things about society. I'm going to change the word, uh, probably without his permission, but I'm going to change the word because he's so brilliant about what he says. I'm going to change the word society and organization to the word church meaning people, not just the organization, but us as people. So, uh, here's what he says with my changes of the word church and, and churches, uh, meaning people like us, rather than society or organizations, okay? Here it goes. Here's what Friedman says with my help. <laughs> does your society, does your church, Does your church have memories, more memories than dreams, or more dreams than memories? By dreams, I mean the positive, life-affirming variety. You see, when memories exceed dreams, the end is near. The hallmark of a truly successful church or Christian, my insert, is the willingness to abandon what made it successful and start fresh. In churches, he continues, with my word change, that have more memories than dreams, too many people are spending too many days looking backward. They see dignity, affirmation, and self-worth not by mining the present, but by chewing on the past. Such churches, Christians, focus all their imagination on making that imagined past even more beautiful than it ever was, and then they cling to it like a rosary or a strand of worry beads rather than imagining a better future and acting on that. That's my retranslation of Thomas Friedman's great book now think about this are you or can you imagine a future of a revival in america i know some preachers say pray for revival in america or whatever your country might be and they 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 say you know ask god to bring that revival but they don't really imagine That better future? What would it look like? What it would be like? Well, once you learn to be a missionary, that's where your focus and your dreams, your imagination will take you. So one of these people that did just that was a woman who has now gone on to be with the Lord, but a few years ago, a lady by the name of Phyllis Tickle, an amazing Christian scholar and historian, wrote a book. And she uh, wrote this, this book about the Great Emergence. That was the name of it, The Great Emergence. And it's about the history of the church from one perspective of reaching people for Christ. And she's talking about all the history of Christianity since Jesus launched the church. on On this rock, I will build my church from that day on. When he said to Peter, your confession of me being the Christ, on that foundation, I'm going to build my church. From that day until now, there's been a history of the movement of Christianity. Some people just call it the movement of the church, the big church. What Phyllis Tickle has pointed out is that every 500 years, now she's a historian, a Christian historian, Every 500 years, Christianity has reinvented itself. It's sort of re-energized itself. And she calls every 500 year, it's not exactly to the moment or the year, but it's right around 500 years, that's what she calls a hinge point of history for the Christian movement. So I'm going to start with the most recent hinge point and work backwards, Because it happened to be 500 years ago right now, which has implications for where we are right now. I want to give you some hope, and this ought to do it. It certainly infuses hope in the people that learn this. 500 years ago was the Protestant Reformation. It was in Europe, started in Germany, went out throughout all of Europe, and that was 500 years ago. And we're 500 years from that. Today, we need a reformation that is, to say it another way, a reformation, a reformatting of the way that Jesus teaches to do mission, the way the New Testament teaches to do mission, the way the disciples and Jesus modeled how to do mission. We need that reform, that reminder, To get back to that about the mission. That was 500 years ago. If you go back 500 years before that, 500 years before the Reformation, was a thousand years ago right now, give or take a couple of decades. And at that time, historians from the spiritual perspective call it the Great Schism. It was kind of a divide between the Eastern Church, Eastern Orthodox Church, and the Western Church. And some things happened uh, a thousand years ago that were very instrumental in giving a big surge to Christianity. First of all, there was the fall of the Roman Empire, and that was a very pagan empire. Uh, What was left of it, though, was uh, uh, part of a great influence of Christianity. It primarily happened because when the plagues came, the pandemic, you know, yeah, all the rich people would leave the city of Rome and the big cities elsewhere and go out to their country homes and let the other people that didn't have the money in the country homes just die of the plague. That's all they had. But the Christians, who were new on the scene, relatively new, uh, they um, stayed. And so the, the, the remnants of the Roman Empire Uh, was dramatically Christian, because when these wealthy people came back, when the plague was over, when the pandemic had ended, they saw these people who stayed back to help the people that were ill. They weren't afraid to die, those Christians. These people had never seen anybody like that before. And their love for Jesus spilled over to love for those people that were sick with this plague, and many of them lived. Many of the Christians lived, and many of the people they helped lived, and that greatly impressed them. And all through the years, from that time, early on, with the fall of Rome, all the way up to this time, a thousand years later, a little less than a thousand years later, uh, there, there was a strong church in Rome. In fact, it's the home of the Roman Catholic Church. And there was a Roman Catholic Pope called Gregory the Great. And the church, in the many years following the New Testament, had a lot of messes to clean up. There was not very much clarity. It was a young movement, even though it was a thousand years old. And so there were some aberrations, some things that weren't actually biblical were happening. So what, he, what Pope Gregory did, and it was a major boost to Christianity, is he kind of cleaned up some of these messes that were going on. And uh, he started what was called the monastic movement. That was where monasteries were built. And some of those monastery monasteries were mission outposts, and still are, and uh, like the Franciscans. And uh, others were monasteries that uh, uh, had full-time workers that cared for all sorts of the needs of people and many other uh, issues that are related to the mission of the church. And w- what happened with that is it was a cohesive force of Christianity that, that, that built and grew Christianity throughout Europe until the Reformation when it took another leap forward. During the time a thousand years ago, the time of Gregory, Uh, the Roman Catholic Pope, Um, they also had a a, a large council, a meeting of all the Christians in the then known world that could make it to this meeting, all the leaders anyway, uh, called the Council of Chalcedon. It was actually the fourth big ecumenical council that included all different kinds of Christians. That's what the word ecumenical means. And it was determined at that Council of Chalcedon to settle on a doctrine, a teaching that there had been a lot of debate about, and it was hurting the church and its effectiveness to reach people for Jesus. And that was, there was not a very wide agreement on Jesus. Like, who was Jesus? Especially in what's called the Incarnation, Jesus became a human being. And what did that mean? There were some people who said, well, He was God's son, not a real human being, but just God's son. Other people said, no, he was a human being, but not God. And at the Council of Chalcedon, they decided that while it's not normal for human thinking to think both and rather than either or, either human or God, that he was the God-man, according to the Bible. And while that's not normal for human experience, God's not normal for human experience. And so they said, yeah, and they settled it once and for all. And it's pretty much been that way since that Jesus is the son of God, God, human, divine, and also true man. And that really gave a boost. Now that was a thousand years ago. Let's stretch back even further in history to 1,500 years ago. And that was the birth of the Roman Catholic Church. And it was a primitive church at that time because it was new, uh, very new, only 500 years after Jesus. But it was kind of the organizing of the church, Uh, not just one local church, but churches all over the place. And uh, they began to focus on some sort of way to worship called liturgy or order Liturgy means order, Tied to order the worship. There's some things that we ought to do in worship, and they're in the Bible, and that would make sense. In addition to that, they started training the people who led churches called clergy or pastors or priests. And so what happened is during that time, it rescued Christianity from some errors in in what they call animistic practices, where the church had gotten into some magical things uh, that was half magic, half baptized or bastardized Christianity, Uh, and so uh, it it was kind of a mix, but they really got serious about the Bible. The Bible uh, began to be able to get into the hands of more people, and so uh, it really became founded as a biblical form of of worship, and many of the errors started to get weaned out of the church. And what happened was, <clears throat> the church uh, began to take on more growth. And that was 1,500 years ago. 2,000 years ago, of course, was Pentecost, the birth of the early church. And you can read about that in the book of Acts, and the epistles, the the letters in the New Testament. And I want to encourage you to do that. If you want to learn mission stuff, uh, along with that, go back to your Bible, get a modern translation up to date, and I would encourage you to read the New Testament from the book of Acts. I know we focus a lot on the Gospels, which is great, we should, but read the book of Acts and read the the letters from uh, Paul and Peter and James and all those letters, and 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 look at it from a diagnostic point of view. What are they saying about the way they were reaching so many people for Jesus? What was the deal that they were having so much what we might call success or effectiveness that, that was that, that was really making a difference in people's lives? And churches were popping up all over the place, and people were really on fire and the church was growing. So that's a little history. Now, so 500 years ago, going back to the Reformation, uh, that was 500 years ago right now, give or take a decade or so, and there's no real day it began or day it ended. It just kind of a season of really over 100 years, and we're in that point right now the 500th anniversary of the uh, beginning of the Reformation, uh, was not too long ago. And so we're in one of those hinge points of history that Phyllis Tickle talks about right now. So we should have high expectations about what God's going to do. And so as you get equipped as a missionary to your social network, you're going to, I hope, be excited by the fact that you were born at a time people 200 years ago weren't born at a hinge point where things usually blossom and people 200 years from now won't be born at that kind of a time in this 500-year season of the mission of the church. In each one of those seasons, what has happened is God's people have recaptured the mission of, culture of Christianity. And, my friend, that is exactly what these episodes are all about. So, today, as Christians, we face incredible challenges. Tough times for the church, no kidding. But you know what? It was that way at the Protestant Reformation. The Roman Catholic Church was drifting And God raised up a whole bunch of people, Luther, Zwingli, Wesley, many, many reformers who God used. And what they did, those reformers did, is they said, we need to put the Bible teaching in the clothes of the people of our times. We need to make the gospel relevant which it is and must be. But we can, by our humanity, drift from that. And basically, that's the work of a missionary. And we're going to expand on that a lot as we continue. But you might remember it was Jesus who said about the Pharisees and their way of doing church, well, the synagogue way. He said, you know, It's not going to look the same. This, when I build my church, it's not going to be exactly the same. Why? Because new wine needs new wineskins. You see, the gospel of Christianity, the good news of Jesus Christ and our salvation, needs a new container, refreshed container for every age, every generation, every group of people anywhere in the world. The actual wine, the content of the good news of Jesus can't change, must never change. It's always the same. But in order to keep that wine the same, it requires new wineskins, because the old ones, they just break, and they don't do the job. So, We live at a time right now, whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not, of great revival already happening. Some of it in North America, some of it even in the United States, a lot of it in Africa, but also some of it in places like England. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Each year, for the last 20 years as i record this now it's been 20 years it'll be more than that uh, as the years go by but our ministry church doctor ministries has taken no more than 20 people to do a learning educational mission type trip to england now england is pretty easy for americans to make the uh connection between uh North America, and because and, they speak kind of a form of English, and things are very much the same, and things like that. Uh, so it's a lot easier than going to like a revival in Africa, which I've been to many, in, in many places of Africa, uh, where, and, and in South America and other places. But the cultures are so different, it's really hard to say, oh, I can see what that would look like in my in my town, in my city, in my church. In my place of residence, but for North Americans, which is the ones we take to England, it's uh, really easy to see what's going on in England. Now there are about 300 churches, and uh, we take a trip every year for about uh, 10, 11, 12 days, and not very long, but it's intense. And we have made friends with uh, the people that lead this movement, that is so different than the empty cathedrals that look like dying Christianity everywhere you go, but they're not all dying, and some of these churches aren't even in cathedrals, but there's about, I'm guessing, around 300 churches in this movement. It grows all the time, and we've made friends with the leaders of this movement, and they have been extremely gracious to us, incredibly kind, because they allow us to bring a group and we learn from them, and we experience what's going on in their churches. I mean, I've seen people from Canada and, and from the U.S. in our group in worship so overcome by what God is doing, the wall-to-wall enthusiasm of young people on fire for God, mission-minded people. And I've seen these people from North America break down and cry. I've done it myself. I've done it more than once. Even though I've been there all these times, sometimes it just grips me. And that's a fact. And if you want a life-changing experience, sign up for one of our trips. Sign up early because we don't take more than 20 because we teach on the train from one place to the other. We teach on the subway from one place to another in the underground in London. We are constantly helping them translate that into their churches. So if you want to know, if you want a classroom of want to know what I think America is going to look like on the cutting edge here in the future in the next 10 years or so, come along to England. It is fantastic, and it'll bring great hope to see that. So that's what we're looking at. And so I want to give you an assignment. I want you to pray and ask God, for key influencers in your church, whoever they might be. Uh, They might be on staff, and they might not be on staff. They might be just people that are fired up for God and ready to make the trip, to make the mission trip to England, to experience this revival firsthand. Because I'll tell you what, a movement is more caught than taught. And that would really help. Well, let me get back to Phyllis Tickle before I close. Uh, About every 500 years, she says the Christian movement has a rummage sale. They offload things that aren't working anymore. Now, we're not talking about biblical teaching. We're talking about the way we do things. So the church, about every five centuries, unloads some cultural baggage that is basically not good carriers, not good wineskins for the real deal of Christianity. So, I want to leave you with two distinctives. One, uh, there are two distinctives which every missionary should learn. So, you, this is something I want you to learn. This is part of your mission teaching. You need to learn this as a missionary to your own social network. The first one is to avoid syncretism. Syncretism. That's, called, uh, that's spelled S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M. Syncretism. It's when we take we want to reach people so much that we take the truth of god and we compromise it with the culture we try to sync up with the culture now there are so-called they're usually called liberal churches and i don't mean to beat these people up because some of them are good friends but history has shown that to try to sync up with culture to say oh yeah Forget pro-life. Let's go with abortion because more people will learn about Jesus. No, it doesn't work. You can't sync up with all the cultural things that are in contrast with the Scripture. That's where you have to draw the line. On the other hand, and this is the second thing I want you to know that's a great insight, practice what we call contextualization. That is not syncretism, that's about content, but contextualization is translating the unchanging Word of God into the context of the culture of those you're trying to reach, and there are many churches that are doing that today. Contemporary worship, some people struggle with it, but they're caught up in the old style but they're not reaching new generations. Some of it is the use of words, some of it musical styles, even facilities that look different. Uh, All of those things are to contextualize means what Jesus did. He came as a human being. He came in the flesh, and that's what we want to do. So remember those two teachings, syncretism and contextualization. And next time, when uh, our next episode starts, I will share a story of the missionaries that tried to reach the Kiowa Indians in the early days of American history when Christian missionaries tried to reach the Native Americans and and what they did and uh, what worked and what didn't work. And then we'll go on and talk about the differences between style and substance. And that will be our next episode, our next lesson on how you can become a missionary. Go over this again and again. Share it with other people. Pray for a mission movement. We've got the Christians to do it. We just need to teach them how to be missionaries. God bless you. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.